0: All right, kiddos. Thanks for joining me up here. I need to make appropriate space. Can I get three volunteers? All right, you three were the fastest, okay? So sit up here with me, right here. Just sit, cross leg, back up a bit. Lydia, you you too. All right, so all kids here, I want you to imagine that I am a very wealthy king. I have so, so much gold. You can't even believe how much gold I have. Okay? But I'm a good king, and I'm willing to empty myself of all of my riches for your sake. Okay? Is your car made of gold? My car is made of gold. My house is made of gold. My streets are paved with gold. My Christmas tree is made of gold. <coughs> my toilet's made of gold. You Everything's made of gold in my house. Even the Christmas wrapping—don't throw it away. Now, these three brave volunteers, given that they were so eager to help out, I'm—I'm I'm decided. I'm going to share some of my wealth with them. Are you ready, the three volunteers? Okay, here we go. This is for you guys. Oh, 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 oh! Look at it—it's overflowing. That's a lot of chocolate coins. <laughs> I think my child is showing himself to be a hoarder over here. Okay, okay, guys, just hold on for a second, okay? So, listen, all of you, three volunteers as well, all of you listen. So I've shared all of this wealth with you, all of these gold coins, but here's the thing, here's the thing. Because of the love that I've shown you of emptying my riches for you, what I want you to do is to share the wealth that I've given you with other people as well. Okay, can you do that? How much are you gonna share of what you've been given? Okay, oh all right, I see more sharing. Do you want some? Are you you in? You can come up here. No, don't throw, bud, don't throw. Okay, keep sharing if you want some. I think you got a lot more over there. Maybe you could share some more. Okay, no, don't throw, don't throw please, okay? Don't throw. I think you guys need something to take this with you, don't you? Now, hey kids. There's a lot of people out there. Would you be willing to share your riches with the people out there? Why don't you... It, I, can't, I, can't, I, can't make, I can't make you, but if you're willing to share, go and take some and share them with people out there, okay? Go on, go. I see there's a lot here still. Go share. Go take some. Who do you think wants some gold coins out there? Asher, you want to go share some? Share some of your riches with those out there? This one open. Can eat it? You can eat it when, after you're done. Okay, this didn't quite go as I was planning. I've lost control of this sermon illustration. Okay, why don't you guys go and go be good elves, even though we don't believe in elves, um, and go share with, go share, go give Shiloh and Elijah, come help out. Go share with people out there, okay? Hey, Go share. Raise your hand if you want some chocolate gold coins. Who wants chocolate gold coins? Julia, want to go share some with people? No? No? All right, so, there's a lot here, still. All right, why don't you guys go grab a seat, because I've lost control. Not yet, not yet, I haven't loaded up. I'm not cargoed. i do not Here, okay, this is what we're gonna do here. Somebody get me an artist. We're gonna put it in here, and then, we're gonna put the rest in here, and then we're gonna share them after service, okay? All right, guys, go sit down. Do you want some more? You can grab some if you want. Do you want some? All right. It's okay. I need to pack up. No, you're good. Come back later. You got a lot there already. Here, let's put the rest in here. You want some more? Does your brother need some? Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. Does your mommy need some? Well, that illustration was a pastor should never pour out a chunk of gold coins during the sermon. That totally fits in with what I was going to say today. <laughs> Um, Hey, kids, while you're counting your coins or eating them, just give me your eyes for a moment, okay? Because I I completely did not connect any dots for you then. (laughs) So Jesus, in Christmas season, we celebrate Jesus coming into this world. And sometimes when we are celebrating Christmas, we can talk about Santa and elves and presence, and baby Jesus, and the three wise men, and, and sometimes what gets lost in all of that is we forget Jesus is God. Jesus is the wealthiest, richest king. He's the king of the universe. Scripture says that God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, which is just meant to say he's really, really rich is what it means. You guys probably don't value cattle as you do gold coins, but Jesus came as a baby, and he was willing to give up everything he had, everything he had for us, and to take on this flesh and this blood that you all live in, and he did that so that we could have a relationship with him and have all of the riches that come with Jesus. It's not gold, really. The riches that comes with faith in Jesus is so much better and greater than gold. So clearly, those who are up here, you love your chocolate gold coins and the riches of chocolate gold coins. My hope for you this Christmas, kids, is that you remember that Jesus is a far bigger gift than chocolate gold coins. And that even those coins that I shared with you today is a little picture of how Jesus emptied himself of all his riches so that he can come into this world and save us from our sins. All right? Thanks for coming up here and being an awesome help for my illustration. Kids, we're we're looking in this passage that you heard read, kids and adults. Uh, Luke 2, that you heard Miss Laura just read. It's a really interesting text in the sense, if you think about it in the context of what's happening, you heard it read. It's actually kind of boring, the seven verses we just read. There's like no drama in it whatsoever. And if you think about it in the context of what came right before, what comes right after, before and after is lots of drama. Luke chapter 1, we see... Um, the birth of John the Baptist foretold to the priest Zechariah, who would be the father to be of John Zechariah, that he and Elizabeth in their very, very old age would come to bear a child that would be John the Baptist. We see the drama of Mary being visited by an angel and being told that she would be with child supernaturally by the Holy Spirit, and that we see them these two supernatural pregnancies foretold, one in an old withered womb and one in a virgin womb. And we see these songs of praise that Mary sings, and we hear this prophecy that Zechariah makes. It's lots of drama. And what follows right after this text that we're talking about today, again, is lots of drama. We see um, angel coming to the shepherds, telling of a king that was born um, in a stable, and that there was chorus of angels then singing praise, um, and leading the, the shepherds to go worship the Messiah who was born. And yet again, we look at our text today, it's really just, it's a snooze fest. It's like, wow, there's really not much going on here. I mean, you, we could really boil it down to just a few things, but it seems to be without drama, without emotion, without significance, without any meaning. I mean, there was a census. Mary and Joseph went back to their hometown to get registered. Um, Jesus was born in a manger. There was no place for him in Nin. That's it. It's very matter-of-fact. And really, two things stood out to me as I looked at these seven verses for today. One is the privilege of Jesus being born of David's lineage, that Joseph, his father, was of David's lineage. And this is important, seemingly just a little detail that's thrown in there. It's important because the promised Messiah was meant to come from the line of David. And this was a very important little fact that was inserted in here. And that this Messiah would be a greater king than even King David, the archetypical king of Israel. And that this privilege of being in the line of David pointed to this Messiah who would be king of kings, lord of lords, and whom Israel was to worship. And in whom Israel was to find their identity. So we see this little... Reminder of him being of David's line being said here. And yet, really, the force of it is this second thing, is the poverty in which Jesus was born. It's as if this drama-less tone of these seven verses is supposed to be the very illustration of the humble beginnings of Jesus, of how he is the king of the universe, the king with the cattle on a thousand hills, he who is Messiah, the promised Messiah, but yet entered completely, utterly, humbly into this world for our sake, for the sake of humanity, coming in without any fanfare as an illustration of how he, he is literally the king who was stripped of all of his royalness and emptied himself so that he could take on flesh for our sake. We, we sung just earlier, Away in a Manger, which tries to capture a little bit of that, those humble beginnings in which Jesus was born, And yet the carol really doesn't do justice to how that contrast of how Jesus is God, King of the universe, come into this little baby, taking on human flesh as God, that he was born into this world in such poverty, such dirt, such humiliation, born in a manger. The song that we're focused on today from Behold the Lamb is the song Labor of Love, which again just tries to really more from mary's perspective show this humble beginning this humble birth and so i'm just going to read you a few lines from it It says it was not a silent night there was blood on the ground you could hear a woman cry in the alleyways that night on the streets of david's town and the stable was not clean and the cobblestones were cold and little mary full of grace with the tears upon her face had no mother's hand to hold This simple idea of the humility of Jesus and being born into the world is, is such an easy thing for us to take for granted over Christmas. It's a thing we've heard year after year. We've sung the songs year after year. We've sung away in the manger year after year. And it's easy. It's just easy for us during Christmas to think about Jesus' birth in this way. It's almost like, bless his heart. Bless Jesus' heart that he would come down from heaven into earth for us. It's, just, it's almost patronizing on our part to just take so lightly that the king of the universe would come in the form of human flesh, that Jesus was literally the God-man who, again, emptied himself, lived a perfect life of love and goodness, who literally, in his ministry here on earth, was pushing back the powers of darkness, and then died on the cross for our sins, raised from the dead to defeat the power of sin and death. The two things that we, every single person, no matter what we believe and no matter what we call it, what we fight against each and every day. We long for deliverance from sin and death. And God came in the form of human flesh to defeat those powers. So Jesus is... God among us. Don't let this form of a baby make you forget that he is God among us. And in that sense, baby Jesus, which we think about a lot over Christmas, is more like Thor. Baby Jesus is more like an origin story of Superman. He is this God among men. And yet we don't think of it that way because... When we look at people like Thor and Superman, we, we see, particularly in origin stories, see them coming into their own, coming into their superpowers. And yet, Jesus is the opposite story. Jesus, God of the universe, had all the powers at his fingertips, he says, I will release all of them, empty myself of them, come into this world as human flesh, weak human flesh. And the growth we see. In Jesus is a growth in wisdom, a growth in being willing to serve, to be vulnerable, to be weak, not just in this birth, but throughout his entire life, in his ministry, in his death. Again, for the sake of our restoration to himself, he is God among us. And yet he is a God who has chosen to make himself weak for our sake we forget that really, even in, in the entirety of his life, at any moment, he could have said, I've had enough. I've had enough of this broken world. I've had enough of not using my powers in the way, this grand, powerful way that everyone thinks of power. I'm tired of being weak and vulnerable. I will be myself again completely in all of my powers. He could have done it, but he chose throughout his life, throughout his ministry, to empty himself, to be a servant, to be weak, to be vulnerable. And yes, he healed. Yes, he showed he has power over very, the very creation around him because he is the creator. And yet those were just little moments where he pushed back the powers of darkness to show himself to be God, to be the Messiah who was promised. And yet the rest of the time, he continued to live a life of weakness and vulnerability for our sake. Every moment of Jesus' life was a choice to be humbled for our sake and for the glory of his Father. And so we see, really, the main point of verses 1 through 7 in chapter 2 of Luke is this, is that God was born humbly in Jesus for us, so humble yourselves for others. God was born humbly in Jesus for us, so humble yourself for others. And we hear this idea echoed of God's humility in Jesus um, in other parts. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 8-9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Or again in Philippians 2, said so beautifully, verses 3-8, through 8, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross. So we're reminded again in these verses, Jesus' birth, Jesus' life, Jesus' ministry, Jesus' suffering, Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus' death is all humility. His life was a life of humility. And it's only in Jesus' resurrection do we begin to see the kind of power that we hope and expect of God the remainder of his ministry on earth and his life on earth, he is the countercultural expectation. He is not the God that people long for. And yet he lived it out in that way to defeat the power of sin and death. Jesus lived a life of humility, of emptying himself, of serving others. All this out of love for us, out of love for the fa- his Father in heaven, and love for the glory of God. And so we are clearly called to the same humility. It's easy to laugh at the kids when gold coins splash out in front of them and they're like, go share, do I have to? Yes. But I can't make you. And they did. They went out and shared. And so it's the same for us. God says, I've humbled myself. I've loved you. I've loved you first. Go out in the same way. Humble yourself. Empty yourself. Serve others. Live a life of humility just as I have. We're called to that same humility. And right, Paul says in Philippians 2 count that we are to count others as more significant than others. This is important that he uses this word count, right? He's not saying others are actually better than you. He says count, reckon others as better than your, better, better than yourselves consider their interests as well as yours he didn't say consider others interests but don't consider your interests see he knows we need to consider our our, our interests and that we are quite prone to considering only our interests or certainly prioritizing our interest over anyone else's hoarding gold coins he says, consider other interests as well as yours. We are to count and reckon others as more significant than us. We see just from these verses, whether it's Philippians, Corinthians, or in this text, Luke, that that we see this example for us that Jesus is God incarnate shows us that humility is the foregoing of status, of power, of riches for the sake of others. And even more practical terms, just to consider other people's interests rather than just our own. And Jesus teaches us that he's willing to serve at great cost to himself. And it's interesting as we try to bring it to our lives today. I think we do live in interesting times. The culture has shifted such that ministering to the marginalized is, is not just kind of looked at as like, oh, that's kind of what a few bleeding heart people do. Successful people don't worry about that. In fact, you kind of get cultural points for caring for the marginalized. The culture shifted that we don't just look, as the, look at the rich as like the people we aspire towards. Sometimes we, just, we blame the woes of society upon the rich. And this creates an interesting temptation for us as Christians We can consider the interests of others. We can even empty ourselves for the sake of others, yet we can be quite proud of it. When we succumb to that temptation, we may have taken the actions of a humble Jesus, but we have not yet taken the motivations in the heart of a humble Jesus. So it reminds us we have to keep Asking the Lord to keep changing us from our very core, from our very thoughts, from our very motivations. Our humble actions cannot be this badge of honor that we wear. I, I remember this well. I mean, I am someone who by temperament likes to serve. But because of that, I know very well when I'm serving so that people might see I am serving. My first job out of college, working in a nursing home. Caring for the elderly. Although people found me quite weird as a college grad, 22-year-old guy working in an assisted living place, I was quite proud to be like, yeah, I don't care about riches. I work with old people. There was pride in my heart. Maybe my actions seemed humble, loving, giving, serving, that I got some identity about being, a, about being a servant, apart from God, really. Our humble actions cannot be a badge of honor. Otherwise, those humble actions aren't about glorifying God or even for the sake of others. It becomes about pacifying this incessant cry in our own hearts to justify ourselves as good. And then we have no need for Jesus if that's what we insist on doing. Let's talk a little bit about what what is humility? How do we apply it to our lives? I don't know who said this, but someone once said that humility is not denying the power you have, but admitting that the power comes through you and not from you. Humility is not denying the power you have, but admitting that the power comes through you and not from you. Or we could say it differently, to dig even deeper. The gospel teaches us this. Humility is truly believing that you are no better than anyone else. Fully grasping your dignity and depravity, all the while lifting up others as more important than yourself. Let me say that again, these three things. Humility is truly believing that you are no better than anyone else. Fully grasping your dignity and your depravity all the while lifting up others as more important than you. If this is a good definition for humility, which I guess is my own that I believe is scriptural, then humility is this lifelong journey for a Christian with God. We will never arrive at having achieved that definition of humility. To truly believe you are no better than anyone else must begin with the way we each try to make ourselves feel like we are better than others apart from God. Let me say that again. (laughs) To truly believe that we are no better than anyone else must begin with how we each try to make ourselves feel like we are better than others apart from God. Generally speaking, that's whatever you're good at. Whatever you're good at is how 10 to try to make yourself feel like you're better than others. Our political climate is a very powerful example of how both sides are so convinced they're right, but not just right, but better people. Not just right, but better people. This becomes very difficult for us to get along if that's what we believe. This is definitely not the heart of a humble Lord Jesus. Your views don't make you better than other people. Your social media presence doesn't make you better than other people. Your lifestyle doesn't make you better than other people, whether you live with a conspicuous wealth or whether you live frugally, whichever one your culture values. Neither one makes you better than other people. Your lifestyle of having a minimal carbon footprint, or your lifestyle of mowing down the Amazon forest for the sake of collecting things, neither one makes you a better person. Your success success doesn't make you better than other people. Your humble beginnings and creating a life for yourself doesn't make you a better person. The gospel teaches us, and I'm just saying this a little bit differently, we are equals, we are beautiful, we are broken, We are to love others the way we want to be loved. We are equals. We are beautiful. We are broken. We are to love others the way we want to be loved. Let me just say a few words about that. What does it mean to say we are equals? And I believe truly that it is the Christian faith that enables us to believe this. And trust me, I know in the church we're not actually very good at living this out. But my hope is that we we can more and more so live this out to believe and understand we are equals because we all as humanity are the only thing in creation made in the image of God, made in the likeness of God, made to represent God in this world. We are equals in that sense. And we are equals because we are given the same calling to reflect God in this world. We each and every one of us, every human being are beautiful. We are beautiful, special, useful, productive in our unique way that God has made us. No one, no one DNA in us is is like any other and that means God has crafted us for some particular purpose with a particular story to be lived out for a particular purpose. He knows it. We don't always know it. Not yet. Maybe not quite clearly ever. And yet, that is his promise that he has made us each and every one, us, one of us unique with a purpose. And scripture talks about it very directly to say each and every one of us are a different part of the body of Christ. And the, the, the least noble parts are, are the parts that should be the most noble because God has a use for even the parts that we think aren't important. Each part has its use and is vital in the purpose of God in this world. We are all broken. We are all sinners in the need of God in the need of God's grace. We're all in the same boat. We're all struggling with the same brokenness. And we, through faith in Jesus Christ, are also all heirs to Christ. And we are heirs not because of anything good we've done, not because we made the right choice, not because we're particularly moral or good, but because we have received the gift of God. And this is so that no one may boast. We are equals, we are beautiful, we are broken, and we are called to love others the way we want to be loved. It's just another way, right, of scripture of God saying, consider others' interests as well as your own. Love your neighbor as yourself. Humility, biblical humility says, We love and we humble ourselves because God first loved us in his humility that he modeled it for us. He says, this is the way to change the world. And so we too can take initiative to humble ourselves, to love others. And it does take humility to initiate with people. Initiating anything relationally opens up this possibility of rejection. Or maybe we think even worse, People accepting and then having to be in really awkward situations with people. Sometimes we just rather do life by ourselves because it's cleaner, it's simpler than having to deal with the mess of people. We have to humble ourselves to take that first step, to invite someone a coffee, to invite someone over to our house, to, to ask how they're doing, to take the first step of sending a word of encouragement through a text, through a phone call, through a letter but it also takes humility to persist in relationship. We, re, we persist in loving others not because, no, let me say that again. We persist with loving others because we understand that ultimately it is not what we do in relationships that makes us useful. We persist because it is our presence that God asks of us in the lives of others if we're only useful because we have something we can do, then when we've decided we have no use in someone's life, then we stop. It takes humility to say, I'm not sure I have anything to offer to you right now in your hurt, in your suffering, in your brokenness, but I persist in being present with you. Because this is the way that God has modeled love and humility to me. I wonder for you, like, what you think of humility. A lot of times we just think of it as, like, the all shucks kind of persona. Maybe just being nice, pretty good about being nice in Iowa and being all shucks. So maybe we just think we're really good, you know, in Iowa being humble, which then, of course, then you're not humble when you think that. So it's catch 22, right? Humility is not just being meek. Humility is not just being self-deprecating. Humility is not just going out there and doing lots of stuff for other people. Humility is at the very root of how God came into this world. His birth into this world in complete humbleness pointed the path of the way he was to live, pointed the path to the cross, that he would humble himself not just by being born into this world, but that he would humble himself to the point of dying on the cross for a people who had rejected him and grieved him and sinned against him. That kind of humility is jaw-dropping. And when we have experienced that humility from God, experienced his love and grace as a result, It empowers us to live it out for others, to live out that kind of humility of understanding we are truly no better than anyone else around us, no matter how hard we fight in our soul to find something to grasp a hold of, to prove to the people around us that we are better than them. We are no better than anyone else. We are equals. We are all a mixture of the dignity in which God has given us as his image bearers and the brokenness in which we have as those who struggle against sin on a daily basis. And we are all called, through the power of the gospel, to go out in loving humility as we interact with this world, as we live out our faith in this world. So this Advent Christmas season, I point you to baby Jesus, not cute baby Jesus, not sweet baby Jesus in front of your nativity in your home. I point you to the God of the universe who emptied himself, who humbled himself for your sake and who calls you to live in the same way through the power of the gospel, through the power of his grace and love for you. Let's pray.